Welcome to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. I'm a professor, OD consultant, and change strategist, helping individuals and organizations experience life to the fullest and engaging in positive transformational change. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. Today I'm visiting with Caffrey J, who is a executive director on FIRE, a hip-hop organizer, entrepreneur, pedagogist, nonprofit strategist, speaker, dope MC, strong writer, songwriter, and this is the best part, best dad ever. So welcome. So, Thank you so uh, much for having me. Yeah. So what uh, tell uh, you know you and I connected on on LinkedIn, and so I, I was I was stalking you on LinkedIn, and I was just really struck by your by your posts and and just your message, and so I started checking out some of your music, and I just and and just your powerful um, projects that you have going on. And I thought I'm going to try to pin this this guy down, even though he seems to be really super busy. And so yeah, just tell a little bit about your background and and just. Uh, we'll just kind of let the conversation flow. Yeah, but before I do that, uh, Doc, I just want to say thank you for extending the platform. I mean, one thing that white supremacy does more than anything is it kind of kills our social capital in black and brown communities. So, of course, I'm, I'm busy as hell. I've never been this busy. This is my first million-dollar business that I've started to run. Um, but I think the most important thing, especially during the pandemic, is getting people to know we exist. This work is happening and, and just trying to get people in our corner. So I appreciate you extending the platform. Um, uh, and I don't know, you know, I, I guess what, what motivates me, what drives me is, <laughs> I'm, you know, I, I can easily say anger, you know, being pissed off, but I just want to see justice. Um, it, it pains me to see what I've seen. You know, I, I grew up in San Francisco, Hunter's Point. And that's far away from the gilded downtown cities that people think of, right? I think when people think of this nice liberal, you know, progressive city, they forget that Oakland, 70% of their homeless are black. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's for a reason. I think they forget that, you know, when I grew up, was born in Hunters Point, our population was around 36% African-American. Now it's six, you know what I'm saying? Maybe five now. Um, I don't think people realize that 30% of kids in Oakland have been diagnosed with PTSD. Uh, I was one of those kids looking for my basis, you know, power, you know, looking for my identity, looking for who I was and really, you know, not having a society that gave me the coping mechanisms and the, and the, the means of finding who I was. So I was looking at, you know, media representations about what blackness was, you know, and that was great when Yo! MTV Raps was on because I could listen to people like Black Moon and, and, and you know, just Rakim, KRS-One and see blackness on radio. That really changed, that changed really, really fast. Um, and when I turned 15, 16, gangster rap was the number one thing on. And that was the number one most powerful thing that I could see. And really the ideas and the concepts that we have are the confines with which we can you know, move through the world. You know, If we don't know we can be this or know we can be that, we will never be that or never try. So we have limited options in the hood real limited options. Not only that, we have limited ideas about our own worth, our own values. Our school system doesn't show us our history short of a really bastardized version of Rosie Parks because she was tired on the bus one day. You know what I'm saying? Instead of being one of the most prolific organizers ever. You know what I'm saying? Um, we don't we don't see stuff on the news that shows us our, our value, our worth, you know? And I think all these kids are looking for ways to, to find their worth. And, and that's what drives me the most. You know what I'm saying? I walk down the streets in Berkeley and White people grab their babies when they pass me. And I've, I've educated over 20,000 kids myself. You know, I've been a teacher for over, almost 20 years, 19 years. Um, and I can't tell them that in, in a moment. You know what I'm saying? But I look hip hop. I'm not, I don't, this is not music to me. Hip hop is a culture. It's how I walk. It's my dialectic, my vernacular, my colloquialisms. It's how I dress. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's my fashion. It's how I dance. It's how I paint. Uh, I also rap too. You know what I'm saying? And I shouldn't have to take this off for, liberal progressive white people are are conservative are anybody asian any black people to be afraid of uh, i tell people you know I, when they grab their babies i say i don't i don't eat babies i'm full <laughs> at lunch today <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say something but you know I, I i i wish you know and i have these coping mechanisms for when i see that right when i see somebody put their child in a fight or flight response because they were so scared of me 
You know, I have coping mechanisms. I know how to deal with that. I understand what that the person's going through. I know what these stereotypes are. Uh, and it doesn't really affect me. I don't internalize that. But a lot of these young kids don't have these coping mechanisms. And I remember when I didn't have these coping mechanisms, if somebody did that, I would lose it. Um, so I guess my secondary goal has always been to make it just a little easier for, you know, kids to walk through this earth being who they are uh, and knowing their worth. Uh, and hopefully not scaring the hell out of every other white person walking past me on the progressive streets of the Bay Area. Um, but I think my primary goal has always been to make sure that people who are hip hop cultured, who, you know, the largest human cultural expressive form that humanity has ever created, you know what I'm saying? People who want to access this, all kids in America are primed for hip hop. They are hip hop cultured or hip hop curious. All these kids, when they want to be hip hop, I don't want them to, to be exploited by corporate media to, to, in order to find their, themselves in hip hop in this cultural uh, expressive form. You know, right now we have three corporations, Time, Sony, and Universal that own 90% of the means of producing my culture's depiction in media. Uh, and black people have never had enough money to dictate how any white owned media you know, portrays us. Not once in the history since birth of a nation have we ever been able to dictate how we look, you know what I'm saying? And I think people are blaming us for what hip hop looks like in space, right? Um, you know, Taco Bell is cr crappy Mexican food, but we don't see people getting mad at Mexican people because Taco Bell is horrible, right? Uh, <laughs> and that's what we're doing right now. We're getting mad at black people. We're using this as an extension of the way we otherize black people, right? We talk on black, like black on black crime when no white people know the stats on white on white crime because they're not concerned with, that, with crime. They're yeah. concerned with proving Black people deserve the position in society we have. And so that tends to be the what, what, what happens when we put Black culture into capitalism, right? It becomes commodified, and then it starts only in, investing in the certain narratives that resonate with White audiences. Uh, right now, you know, hip-hop well, hip has always been 80% consumed by White audiences. Right now, it's about 75% suburban White men between 18 and 24. Uh, and that was great in the 80s. 90s, when, you know, in the 90s, 91, Fight the Power was the number one song on the radio, and that was bought more by white people than anybody. Like, that's great. Like, we, that's what we want. Bring people together. Learn about us. You know what I'm saying? But now it's not like they're picking who's the dopest artist in our culture. Right now they figured out we could sell Carl's Jr. burgers with, you know, Kate Upton wearing a swimsuit. Like, you know, this is what people buy, sex, drugs, and violence in America. And arguably the suburban white cis, you know, men aren't buying empowered brown women rapping about their lives mattering. It doesn't mean that we don't have a matriarchal society. It doesn't mean we don't have you know, amazing women rapping. It just means that we have to have a base of self-determination to invest in our own real important narratives so our babies can hear that. And then alternatively, some, some people in the majority can also see that we're beautiful as well. You know what I'm saying? That's what we're dealing with right now. So you know, more than just you know, folks seeing who we are, it hurts me the most that we have geniuses that have to work crappy jobs that they hate, you know what I'm saying, that they don't get paid enough and hope they have enough energy at the end of the day to produce this important cultural work, right? Why don't those people get to get paid to be their own genius selves, doing their genius work? So I'm most proud that we've been able to employ over a thousand people in their paychecks say hip hop, right? Uh, during the pandemic, we gave $130,000 to local hip hop artists to educate and perform virtually. Uh, that's amazing to me to take an artist that's working at Starbucks or something like that uh, and then get them fingerprinted, TV tested and trauma informed and then get them a contract position teaching kids how to do breakdance or graffiti, you know what I'm saying? And telling them what, what that really means and how it's an introspective thing and it's a, a developing thing and a healing thing. So that's what I'm here for. You know, I was the first black director for Greenpeace. Uh, in their 2000 iteration of their grassroots program, I ran their entire barrier street team and I learn how to raise a half a million dollars every year without going to the federal penitentiary. Um, so now I do that and I put that money into the culture, into the community. It's just, it's just what time it is. And, and you know, my next steps is taking this global, taking this right across the nation uh, and then taking back my culture because, you know, corporate media cannot replicate authenticity. So that's what we're doing here with our 501c3. Uh, I, wow. That's a powerful statement that, that corporate media can't, replicate authenticity not not well not with that many units <laughs> you know what i'm saying <laughs> not at all but, um but in, you know in, in your in your 20 years of, of doing this and 20 what 
20 years of teaching, I mean, I'm, I'm sure even since you were, you know, growing up as, as a young kid, have you seen, have you seen progress or have you seen some hope or, I mean, I, I, I don't do hope as a black man. Cause if we're thinking about the situation, what are we hoping? It's not this equal, you know, it's like both sides have this responsibility towards, no, really to be straight, real with you, white people need to stop being racist and relinquish the power and dismantle the systems of oppression, right? It's not like the pendulum swinging. So I'm always never hopeful when it comes to if white people will get it in America. That's, I'm not a betting man. And even if I was, I would never bet on that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's um, interesting because I, I I tell my students in my consulting work, I'll say, you know, hope is not a strategy. No, nah. and, and not effective. <laughs> it doesn't, one it doesn't it doesn't move it, move anything forward. Yeah. Um, and, and, and people have asked me this question as well. Like, you know, people are like, oh, well, we got a black president. That wasn't black progress. That was the first black man that the majority of white people thought was presidential. <laughs> that, that might be a little bit of progress for white America. But then you got to understand the hate groups in America tripled after that. Right. So, yeah, I think it, yeah it, it didn't really encourage. I think it 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 made people angry that. Yeah. And I say people, I say my my demographic, <laughs> white men. I yeah. Mean, you know, and I, I appreciate that honesty. You know, I, like I put you, you see my LinkedIn, my LinkedIn gets popping. I have to literally tell people I don't hate white people. Like once a week, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, man, I, I study race. I lecture at universities about race. I was just talking to Stanford and Tulane about this. And this doesn't come from a place of hate or wanting to create division. You know, I study white people like I've studied my own people. I study society, right? And I do it because I want justice. I want justice so bad that I'm masochistically doing this work. You know what I'm saying? Trying to get justice for my people. And that's just it. So I don't think hope is the, 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 that's not the question, you know what I'm saying? That's not even a question I'm concerned with. I, I don't, I'm not betting on the future. I've never seen a hegemony like this in, in history with this capitalist system and also dealing with the computer age. Like nobody knows what's gonna happen and all nations end. I don't know how America's gonna end. I don't know if it's gonna end in this egalitarian Star Trek future where we just say, forget borders. You know what I'm saying? We're America, we're the earth now. Uh, probably not if I'm looking at history, you know what I'm saying? If we look at the current, you know, economy, global economy, it doesn't look like we're going to keep up. It looks like we are on the way out. We're going the way of the wigs, right? So um, I don't know. But I do know that I can make life a little bit better for black and brown kids and white kids in the Bay Area right now. And I'm starting to make it a little bit better for kids in Flint, Michigan with my virtual education in L.A. and New York and on, you know, indigenous uh, reservations and whatnot. Like, I can make change for a few people, and that's all I'm trying to do. So, if, are we gonna save our hegemony, <laughs> bro? I, I I don't know. That's not even. I'm not even. I'm not here for that. You know what I'm saying? But if we can create our own community control platform, we can inspire and empower a lot of kids. You know, I tell people all the time, I would love to burn the system down, but I run a nonprofit, right? I I run a white supremacist business structure. And so we're not gonna we're not gonna start the revolution, but I damn for sure think that we can inspire and give people the support to to start it themselves. I think hip hop is good for that. I think we're you know you mentioned that about the the international part and um, and I think that that it certainly is is a global uh, a, a global village global. I, a great example of this a few years ago I was uh, I was in Nepal and I was doing some guest speaking at Kathmandu University. Mm -hmm. It was an excuse to go to Nepal. Yeah. So, um, and so I took a, I, I hired a guide to take me out and do a trek out. Um, just, I wanted to see some Buddhist uh, monasteries yeah. out away from Kathmandu. And so I'm with this guide and we're out in the middle of nowhere. And he just turns to me in his broken English and says, what's going on with your presidential election? <laughs> And this was like four years ago. This was, um, and and I won't name the you know, the the president uh, Trump, but um, <laughs> but yeah, he said what's going on, and I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's scary. He said we're afraid. Yeah. And this is in rural Nepal. Yeah. And and I I was just like, yeah, we it, it's a what happens around the world. It's we're all connected, and yeah. 
Um, and, and there's a saying that really, like the first thing that popped in my head is when a white man sneezes, the entire globe catches a cold, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's just the case. Like, I totally get the fact that somebody in Nepal is a fear fly. I, I bet people in Syria and Namibia, like, when you look at America and what it's been able to do, touting the idea of we're going to spread democracy while we have the track record we do, the goal, right? <laughs> the goal. Like, yeah, we need to lock ourselves up, right? You know, and throw away the key. But, but again, I think the reason why we have this issue is because who's in power, right? What ideas are going forth, you know what I'm saying? And, and in our communities, our abilities to lead revolutions, it starts with our artists, it starts with our narratives, you know what I'm saying? So you had Fight the Powers, the number one song in 91, and then Rodney King happened and people got mad and did an uprising, right? When Amadou Diallo happened in you know 2000 or something, Lick Me Like a Lollipop from Lil Wayne was the number one song on the radio. <laughs> people were pretty pacified, you know what I'm saying? So it's always been the political sphere. So I, you know, I'm not I'm not here for for U.S. hegemony. Uh, I'm not here for. I, I really don't really have too much hope for this iteration of our government that's never followed our constitution. They never had a free market. And wants to act holier than thou when we have been the, had the monopoly on violence, genocide, destruction, and destabilization for the last couple hundred years. You know what I'm saying? But I do appreciate and love this country that my ancestors built and my other ancestors died for. Um, and this is my country. You know what I'm saying? And we're all immigrants or we're cattle. <laughs> we got to pick one. You know what I'm saying? So I'm fighting. For the people who are the most marginalized, I don't know if we can make it, but you don't fight a war because you think you're going to survive and everything will be great. You know what I'm saying? You fight a war because it's the right thing to do. So I know nothing else what to do with my time than to use what I know. And that's grassroots fundraising, organizing, hustling, entrepreneurship, raising a crap ton of money, and then paying beautiful people to do the beautiful stuff that I know that really works and really galvanizes our community, really inspires you to be their best selves. And yeah, I'm stuck now. I don't even know what else to post on LinkedIn, but but my anger and my, my introspection for what I'm dealing with, I have no idea. I don't know how to talk about elections without talking about death and destruction and how serious it is for us to fight for our equal, equal rights. To vote. I just don't know. I'm stuck, man. Yeah, it's it truly is life or death. I'm, and, yeah. Um, yeah, and and it's it's not a matter of, of oh, can't we just all get along or, or, or when I hear people say, Oh, I don't see color or you shouldn't see color. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just, I, I find a lot of inspiration from a lot of your, your posts. Cause I'm sometimes I'm just stumped. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what, how, how to respond to that. Half the time. I'm not even sure either, bro. I was just like, <laughs> They're, they're, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, I don't have solutions. I mean, I have some solutions. Don't get me wrong. But, but you know, the, the real solution is it's not my job to create solutions. You know what I'm saying? Although I'm pretty damn good at it, you know? Um, but yeah, most of the stuff, I'm just trying to show people, uh, I'm trying to give people a critical lens. <laughs> Did I say CRT? Yeah, I'm trying to give people a critical lens in real history, man. We've got such a myopic view of the truth. And so much of what I, I've learned is how valuable truth is. There's only one rule in hip hop, and that's keep it real. If you don't, I'll take your mic and I'll crush you. You know what I'm saying? That's, you know, hip hop is really egalitarian, you know? And, and so it's a space where everybody's welcome. And, and it's a space where, where passion and, and authenticity and ability to put yourself out there is respected more than anything. Um, and that's the, way I, that's the way I know you know how to how to do what I do. So that's what I do. And you'll see if y'all want to get on my LinkedIn, it is pretty popping. <laughs> it does get a little crazy. And you'll see why people ask me on a daily basis or talk to me like I hate white people. I don't know. But I think these conversations are really important. And I, I see so many people learning from these threads and I've just been putting them out there. So we're going to speak truth come hella high water. And, and yeah, my last words will probably be truth as well. So Yeah. And I, and your, your sweatshirt, you know, and white supremacy, you can, you can hate white supremacy. You can hate white supremacy. It doesn't mean you hate white people. No, yeah. not at all. A, it's like your Taco Bell example. <laughs> 
You know, I'm dealing with this, and this respectability politics is, is amazing. I'm dealing with this with an elementary school in Stanford, California right now. Um, and we we are always those those hip hop Negroes until people really see that we are real educators that have a credible pedagogy and taught 26,000 kids. Like we always have to deal with this respectability politics before we even get let in the door. And so our education director, who's amazing, Marlon Richardson, AKA Unlearn the World, he you know, had a school that wanted to work with this teacher hit us up. And then we got to the PTA president um, and he said, oh, well, this seems like it's too much. And I'm like, well, first off, this is a rich school. I'm like, oh, well, you know, our prices are comparable to regular other programs. So, you know, we get this a lot. We've always historically undervalued ourselves. So now I'm like, okay, you know, we took our administration costs off because our main goal is to teach those kids. Half our ped half our classes have been taught for free. We don't turn down kids. Um, so we said, okay, forget the administration. He's like, well, it's still too expensive. What, let me see your 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 curriculum. Let me send me your your whatever your slideshow. It comes back. He's like, well, first off, I don't want you teaching our kids about graffiti culture. Uh, second, uh, your executive, your art, your education director is a rapper. He's violent. So I don't want any mention of your education director in your pro program. And mind you, our education director is a black hip hop artist, grew up in Washington Heights, New York, that raps about his life and his, and his culture, what kids are dealing with. But he's deemed violent. Second, uh, one of the slides had our grassroots staff wearing this shirt. And he said, oh, well, I don't, you know, we don't, we have a nice, I, I'm paraphrasing horribly. He's like, we don't want to bring any of this stuff into this classroom where kids might, uh, we don't want to bring anything that insinuates one group is responsible for something. I, it, yeah, we have this issue all the time. We just put an open letter on LinkedIn if y'all want to go check that out under Hip Hop for Change. Um, but we have to deal with this stuff all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like we have to literally deal with this when we walk into banks to cash checks, when we go to get, you know, interviews, right? When we go to just <laughs> teach babies. And and this white PTA person thinks he knows what's best for his black and brown and white kids more over than I do. You know what I'm saying? And I, I understand that. I understand that he thinks hip hop is violent. Uh, because of what he's seen in the media. But I have to deal with this and I have to do what I can so I can teach those kids and give them their coping mechanisms and their possibilities because I know he won't. And I know he's ill-equipped to do that. It's just it's just a shame. But we persist. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like some of the, the schools that have pushed back against wanting to teach critical race theory, which is basically just wanting to teach the truth. And and they're like, oh, it makes the kids feel uncomfortable, or which or kids makes them feel guilty, and it's like, which kids feel guilty? <laughs> no, it's like the the truth. The truth is like is out there, and it needs to be taught. And yeah, you know, I'm gonna say first off, it's it only makes white kids feel guilty if it makes anybody feel guilty. It makes all brown kids feel seen, heard, and validated. And there's more brown kids in America than anybody. So. First off, when we talk about it only makes kids feel, that's a really white supremacist way that these people are looking at it. First off, right? So we really have to acknowledge that. Second, not all white kids are gonna feel guilty learning history. You know, white kids, I'm, white kids are smart. Kids are smart, you know what I'm saying? Racist kids probably aren't as smart. You know what I'm saying? Those racist kids will feel guilty or whatever. Sure, they should feel guilty. They should do whatever they felt. I felt guilty when I learned about patriarchy first. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I was, it was problematic. It's hard. It's really hard work. Um, but I'd rather do it at six or seven or eight, you know, and then having to do that at 30 or 40 and, and realize I've, I've been an ass for 20, 30 years. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and that's just what it is. So we have to be real, number one, that we're talking about who is feeling guilty, who's feeling bad, and that we're leaving out like 55% of all of our youth by not validating their experiences and their current experience and their ancestors' experiences. Second, we can't even talk that bad about white kids, like all white kids about feeling guilty learning reality. Matter of fact, all the white kids I teach, they're like, man, that's unfair because we want equality. Right. I'm glad to know this true. So stop, stop talking about white kids as if they're so fragile <laughs> that they can't learn about history. And really, this is just old racist people trying to, you know, push their feelings into an educative space. It's like a uh, vaccine, COVID conspiracies trying to put out their ideas on molecular biology on Facebook. Like, you're not ready for this conversation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's frustrating. 
Yeah, you know, I, I just tell people we don't get paid enough to teach what white supremacy is to people. And we, we really don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, when it comes down to game theory, I would exhaust myself trying to teach everybody who doesn't get racism to just not be racist. I think what I'm better served with is bringing people in who get it, creating that beautiful Star Trek world, or, or at least that Star Trek space. And then everybody's gonna be like, oh, they got cookies over there. We should, we should go hang there. It look like they're having fun over there, you know? So when we have our environmental justice summit, for example, at Hip Hop for Change, every year we have this summit, uh, it's paid for by Sierra Club, 350.org, Surfrider Foundation. We book artists like Black Daughter, Talib Kweli, uh, and we make it free, all ages for the people. And these big organizations don't get to say anything. We actually use the platform to invite small eco-justice organizations there to table, provide services, and have panel discussions while we book artists that rap about food justice and get them paid because the corporate industry won't book them. Um, but it's a really beautiful space because now, we have people of color in this space that is built for them. And it's amazing because the executive director of Greenpeace was on our panel one time and said, how do we get black people to care about polar bears? Right? <laughs> she doesn't think black people care about polar bears. Anyway, um, but that's not really the lens with which black people view environmental justice, right? This environmental pollution is in our backyard, so we don't have to worry about polar bears first. We think about our babies having zinc, I mean, lead and, and arsenic, and, and we think about toxic uh, Superfund sites in our backyards before we can think about polar bears and orangutans. So this is the problem that we have with environmental movements being very white, very segregated, as all social justice movements have pretty much been uh, in American history. So that's why this environmental justice hip hop platform is so vital, because when we create this space, all the people of color who have always needed a space to, to talk about this, uh, they get to come and it's popping. We have a lot of fun. And then we also get the hipster granola, you know, normal green PC, you know, white folks have come in too. And it's this really beautiful cross-cultural moment. You know, I think that's why black and brown culture is so important to America is because people that go through diasporas tend to be very loving, <laughs> tend to be very caring and don't tend to want to replicate the same oppression that they've experienced, you know? So we're welcoming like, yo, come, come rock with us. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we had a, a, a show, one of our last shows, we had a 70 year old cowboy from Texas with a 10 gallon hat and a big ass belt buckle fist pumping in the front row, you know, when uh, Talib Kweli was rapping. That's everything to me. Right now we're doing a lot of Afro-Asian solidarity work because half of hip hop culture is Asian people, damn near, you know what I'm saying? And and we're working with the Chinese Cultural Center in San Francisco, getting ready to bring Lunar New Year's and Black History Month together for a fat event. My goal is to get the elders in Chinatown rapping in Cantonese and Mandarin, you know what I'm saying? Like this is, I just wanna do cool stuff that brings culture together in a way where people are like, wow, all my preconceived notions have to be wrong. Um, because as you started saying, when we first started talking, people got all these ideas about things because they're only viewing stuff through mass media and they don't eat dinner with people. They don't know people, you know what I'm saying? They don't hang out together. And that's where prejudice and oppression gets to, gets to embolden itself, right? Segregation plus privilege equals racism, period. So if we can just come together and I think, I think, you know, a good two-step and a good rap is a good way for us to come together, right? I, I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, and I think that that you know the pandemic, you know, COVID, global, um, you know, the global warming and just the climate change, which is, I, I think, we may be past the tipping point. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> those are those are all interrelated, and and the social justice movement, those are all interrelated. Mm -hmm. They're global, and they and they disproportionately impact um, the disenfranchised and 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 people of color. Yeah, and indigenous communities who are the most affected by, you know, ocean acidification and whatnot, the thawing permafrost that indigenous communities are having their homes like, you know, collapsing and being displaced and they're losing generational cultural ways because they have to move. Like this stuff is terrible. And the executive director of Greenpeace didn't think that we cared about polar bears. That's a damn shame. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but yeah. I don't know. I think we are past the tipping point. I, I think, I also think that technology could save us. You know what I'm saying? We could be on Mars in 10 years if we acted globally. You know what I'm saying? If we acted as a human species. Um, so we have to work with what brings us together. 
And again, hip hop is the largest cultural expressive form that has ever been created by humanity, right? I dare you to challenge a South Korean person to break dance contest, right? They got people risking their lives in Syria, women rapping about their lives mattering. Uh, you know, you got people rapping in Namibia. In Mumbai, they got this new Gullah rap culture that's cracking. In Glasgow, they got rap coming out. Like, it's everywhere. You know what I'm saying? So we need to take this back because this is the number one way with which white America views black and brown youth culture, right? And our youth are the voice, right? We teach them well and let them lead the way. We've known that since the 80s, right? You know what I'm saying? So we might as well tell them, we might as well stop telling them to, to stop rock and rolling, right? We might as well tell them, you know, we might as well let, as well let them be who they are uh, and, and, and see this beautiful culture of breakdancing that was created by 12 and 13 year olds in the Bronx in the most dilapidated communities ever. That's genius, right? Basquiat, right? Uh, all this genius work that has galvanized an entire generation to have a powerful voice. We cannot let corporations turn that powerful voice that will always be powerful into what they want us to look like in mass media. Just can't work. It's not gonna be good for white kids. It's not gonna be good for Asian kids. It ain't gonna be good for black and brown indigenous kids either. So yeah, man, I don't know. I can go off forever. So what? But, what um, what's your thoughts on like, you know, I try to, uh, you know, I try to, to do my part to understand my own, my own prejudices. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know that like over the past 10 years, um, I've been called out and, and then had to step back and like, wow, that, okay. I, I got to do some reading about misogyny. Yeah. I'm like, okay, just because I didn't mean it to be mm -hmm. misogynistic, it was. Yeah. And so I've had to kind of, you know, step back and, and just think, you know, Thank goodness for a, a very progressive, outspoken daughter. <laughs> um, yes, a, a, a very uh, outspoken uh, spouse mm -hmm. um, who's who's not afraid to call me out on stuff. <laughs> Good. Yeah, my 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 sister is that for me. And so you know, I uh, you know I try to share some of the the you know I, I don't want to say cutting edge, but some of the the really powerful important books that have been um, come out over the last few years. And even, even prior to that, just sharing things, even going back to uh, it's old, it's old now, but the new Jim Crow. Yeah. 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 And Blew just, my mind. just sharing things like that and just challenging people's assumptions, challenging my own assumptions, mm -hmm. um, trying to introduce some of the ideas, you know, in my own, in my own teaching. And yeah. so I, I still have a ways to go. Um, and so, um, I, I'm choosing to try to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem because I've been part of the problem mainly, <laughs> mainly not only through my actions, but just through my demographic. Yeah. I have to, you know, um, intersectionality is something really important. Uh, I, I think Dave Chappelle right now is working on his understanding of intersectionality. Um, but yeah, I've also been a problem. Uh, and that work is really important. Uh, you know, Roxanne Gay, uh, Bad Feminist, is one of the first books that I read on feminism that really helped me understand that it's okay for me to, to, to be not there yet. You know what I'm saying? It's okay for me to not be perfect now. I don't have to, like, freak out and hyperventilate because I know now how uh, oppressive I can be instinctually and habitually. Uh, I'm just a human. So I would say for any homie trying to get past patriarchy or step into that space, that's a great book. Um, when it comes to racism, you know, for me, when I read these books like The New Jim Crow, it just, it's not, it's not me learning. It's more like giving me the vocabulary to speak to what I've always known. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, these books that I've read on race and, and, and white supremacy and whatnot are, are really validating for me. So I would say like the number one book that I've been I love, and this surprises some people, why is The History of White People by Nell Painter. Uh, amazing book. It just, she just thoroughly breaks down the concept of whiteness, starting around the Roman times where, you know, they were going after the Germani and the Britanni, and they were considered to be savages and, and not really, you know, that's like, you know, it, it's just really interesting. And then taking it through the concepts of whiteness, you know, from 
the Renaissance periods and kind of like the Italian, French bourgeoisie versus the Germ German people coming in and being like, no, we're the real white folks. And then that sparked into Nazi Germany. And then both of them saying, well, the white people in America are the laziest white folks in the world and slave owning white folks who just have no, no gumption, no nothing. Uh, I read that and I was like, damn, I've never empathized with white folks more <laughs> from what y'all have put y'all through historically to try to figure out who is and who ain't good enough <laughs> to hold the title of white. You know, for example, within 50 years of Irish people being in America, they were almost 100% Democrat and pro-slavery, right? Almost 100%. And we hear this all the time. Well, I'm Irish. Are you on my ancestors for slaves? Well, first off, First off, watch your mouth, because nothing created a global empire like the backs of Black people and the genocide of indigenous folks, like nothing, you know what I'm saying? But I also know that there was that was the capital of slavery in Europe, you know what I'm saying, for, you know, for those folks, and it was terrible. But nobody wanted to be drawn like Black people in comics in America, right? So when Irish people got here, they real quickly assimilated. And then next thing you know, they were running the police department in the Northeast, right? Uh, and yeah. It's just, it's, it's a shame, right? And now their kids don't know what river dancing is or why they're dancing with no upper body movement. They definitely don't know that in their soul and in their epigenetics, you know what I'm saying? They don't have that in there. And now, now what do people think about Irish folks? Oh, we were, we were more slaves than black. I hear this all the time. We were slave worse than black people. We were the first and, and yeah, we're, we, we, Irish people were never for that. I'm like, yo, let's get some critical, forget critical, just read. You know what I'm saying? Like, read some damn history. Um, so, yeah, I mean, essentially, there's only one rule in hip hop keep it real, truth. You know what I'm saying? So, that defines everything that I do. I, like, I just need white folks to know their history right now. God damn. Like, <laughs> y'all history, not my history. We were just victims of white history. You know what I'm saying? But I really need white people to know that. So, not only Nell Painter's history of white people, but oftentimes when I end my lectures, I say, if you're a white person or you call yourself a white person, why don't you go back and find out your ancestry, your ancestral ethnicity and learn a song in your indigenous na native language? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I ended with. Like, how the hell can I expect somebody to know how important being black is to me? You know, and my culture is to me if they think they're white. You know what I'm saying? They, they have no roots to the the. I don't know when their ancestors used to dance around trees and look up at the stars with their, you know, with their solar discs. I don't know, you know, because it's really problematic for a white dude to walk around wearing dreadlocks and, and venerating Bob Marley only because he smoked weed. But what does it look like me telling a, a, a Celtic brother not to have dreadlocks? You know what I'm saying? Like, it don't make no sense, right? Like, them cats braid and lock their hair better than everybody. You know what I'm saying? So we just have to know our history. We just have to know our truths. And that's all we're asking white people to do because the whiteness is a loss of cultural identity. That's what it is. And, and, and accepting of power and, and privilege, you know? So how can I, how, how can we get free if people don't understand their own cultures? I just ask white folks to learn their, learn their stuff. Yeah, that, that understanding or not doing away with differences, but understanding our differences, valuing, valuing differences. Differences are... Differences are so important. I mean, you know what's insidious is this melting pot idea, right? Oh. If we're in a melting pot, I got to cut my dreadlocks off, which made me cry the one time I had to do it when I got a job when I was 17. I swear I'd never do that shit again. Um, but what I would say is that we're a salad. This is the best analogy I've ever seen. Like, you're a tomato, I'm a carrot. Somebody's onion, somebody's lettuce, somebody's salad dressing. We come together, we make a beautiful flavor. But everybody's different. Everybody's respected for their differences and we make the whole. So this whole salad pot, I mean, this whole melting pot idea, this, this whole colorblind thing is, is just BS. And, and, and if somebody doesn't value my experiences that I bring to the table and that come from my ancestors and what I've been with and what I'm dealing with now, I got no time for you. I have no breath for you to speak to you. I have. I don't get paid enough to help you through this. My my uh, consultation rate is four hundred five hundred dollars an hour to help you with white supremacy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? My, yeah, my, and, I think, my, and I think the people that are really like espousing that melting pot are really saying, like, I'm I'm the tomato, and I want everybody to become tomatoes. Exactly. That's the melting. <laughs> and, and tomatoes are cool. You know what I'm saying? But 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 a society is not made a salad is not made by tomatoes you know what I'm saying <laughs> alone right yeah. um and, and that's it so you know i i see these these 
these racist cliches that people use to hold on to their power and privilege. And saying I'm colorblind is a cop out. Uh, it's an easy way for me to see somebody who's not done the introspection, hasn't learned their history, and is just looking for an easy way to not be accountable for their idiocy. So, yeah. Sorry to say it like that. That shit is stupid. <laughs> so, yeah. That's... So like, what... I, I don't. I don't see gender. I don't see anything that women have to deal with in life. We're all the same. Yeah, yeah that's no different. And when you say yeah. it that way, it, it it's it's really ridiculous and. Um, what, what's your thoughts on, on the, uh, the, the, the Harvard implicit biased, um, series of tests? I love it. Uh, I took it myself. I, I, I have a strong favorability to black people. I, I my son <laughs> that's like 31 or 32, uh -huh. uh, he, when he was in college and he was studying political science, he had me take it. Yeah. And I, it was one of the hardest things to sit with the results. Yeah, I I was like, I was I was mad at myself. I was embarrassed. I, I questioned the validity of the of the project. But but I've been a professor for my whole life, so I don't Harvard. Harvard Harvard does real stuff. Yeah, I, first of all, I love you, brother, for being able to admit that and say that. Like that, that's so strongly you, and it, it, it just makes me feel really safe with you, brother. I really appreciate that. You know, and it means you've done work. About that same time, I sent my three kids, my three oldest kids, to do a volunteer trip at the Pine Ridge Reservation up in South oh, Dakota. Yeah. They wanted to do a, some type of service trip, but they want to do it in the states, and it's like, yeah, there's needs right here in our backyard. So they they went up there and they came back and and they just said it was it was life changing, and and so my my youngest son said, Dad, I want you to go the next summer with me. So he and I went and and. And when they came back, my first thought was, I, I literally said this to them, well, why did they stay on the reservation? Why don't they just leave? And I held that thought. And then when I went up there and, and spent time, I... You're like, I why felt, would they leave? <laughs> I felt so stupid. Yeah. I, I just was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the problem. Or, you know. let, let me tell you, I live in the hood, right? I live in the hood. I live, I've always lived in the hood. You know what I'm saying? I've always lived in the ghetto and some place where people are like, oh, there's crime, there's this, there's that. That's the safest place in the world for me, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we have, I know white people so well because if I want education, I have to leave my community. If I want healthcare, I got to leave my community. If I want a loan, I got to leave my community. If I want a car, if I want anything because of historical neglect and economic segregation, I got to go talk to white people. I don't know white people so well so well but white people don't ever have to come to hunter's point matter of fact most white people in the city have the one time they went to hunter's point story like oh i went to the ghetto one time and they all say that white folks don't know us you know what i'm saying so it's understandable when you see white controlled media and you say oh why would anybody want to live in the hood yo i live in a white neighborhood right now because it's getting a little popping it's kind of crazy in south it's in east oakland you know what i'm saying i had to get my two and a half year old daughter a little bit of a safer place but I mean, I'm just waiting for somebody to call the police on me just walking without my daughter. Like, it's not comfortable. It's not. It's not. There's no culture. Like, if something happens to me, nobody's going to have my back. You know what I'm saying? And and people look at me like I'm going to rob them eventually. Like, And then this is what we're dealing with. So I've never been to Pine Ridge Reservation, but I know why they don't want to leave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? White folks are really problematic, you know, really problematic. Even liberal, progressive ones or whatnot. When people haven't done that work, and that's why it's so important, and that's why I thank you for doing that work and putting yourself in those situations, because we all have blind spots. It's not it's not a problem to have blind spots. It's a problem not to care to work on them. You know what I'm saying? And I accept you as you are, as long as you're working on making sure that 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 you know you can work on yourself. That's what it's about. And and you know these things. It's like for you, you you learn. Oh damn, this is crazy. For me, the doll test was the test that messed me up. The doll test was the test that made me break down for a day or two. You know what I'm saying? That that the the Harvard bias test that was just affirming for me. I was like, oh yeah, favorite black people makes sense, right? <laughs> I feel safe. So those that test it affects both of us differently. You know what I'm saying? So I'm glad Harvard did that test not to you know prove what I already know black folks feel, right? Comfortable with black people and white supremacy that makes perfect sense, right? Um, but I'm happy that test came out for people like you to take it and really to see, hey, there is bias. 
bias is the norm. Bias is normal in America and everywhere. Bias is just normal. It's an evolutionary trait, right? Uh, you know, to have somebody. Is that a line coming through the thicket or my my ape homie? You know, we got to make some conjectures really quick with limited information. I get that. Um, but it's really important for us to see that we have those biases because people say, oh, I'm colorblind. I'm not biased. Okay, you just said that fake stuff so you know you don't have to do no work. And that's the problem. You know, we have to know we have a bias at least. So I love that test. Uh, and, and I love that you were like, wait, wait, that te- is the test right? Because <laughs> that reminds me of what I was struggling with when I was learning patriarchy initially as well. And that's so human, you know what I'm saying? But it, it takes work. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it made me really uncomfortable. The same with different times being called out by, you know, by my, you know, by my daughter and my wife. Yeah, I've been called out this week. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, if you're doing the work, if you're putting yourself out there, sometimes I call myself out in front of people. You know, I just posted this thing about uh, warriors, veterans that fought the colonial colonists, colonizers, you know, and it was this nice meme of, of 12 uh, indigenous warriors that fought the white men. And I posted like, yeah, my favorite veterans. And somebody's like, where are the women at? And I was like, oh, damn. I was like, oh, I, you know, I, I saw that and I. And I didn't think it. I didn't think that either. I thought, no, not oh. for a second. I started to share it because I thought, yeah, that's that's the original, you know, defenders. And then mm-hmm. when I saw that comment, I was like, okay. yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, I just said, you know, I, I told him I was like, well, that didn't even cross my mind. I got a blind spot. I still got a lot of work to do. And yeah, that doesn't feel bad to say anymore. It actually feels affirming for me to know that hey, it's okay. I'm a bad feminist, you know what I'm saying? I'm working on it. I'll, I'll, uh, it's not a finished line, you know, it's not a race. You know, I'm not gonna cross some boundary and people are gonna have wine and meats and cheeses at the end. It's a constant revolution to make sure you're less uh, negatively impacting people that you care about, right? And that's all it is. It's so wildly affirming to be on this journey. So for any white folks that hear this, that are, are still in that I'm colorblind phase that have a fear of, of this introspection, actually, I feel more powerful and more more effective as as a, as a person, as a human than I ever felt in my life, because I don't have to worry about all that negativity and all that hate and that bias that's in me. I know how to deal with it. I have coping mechanisms for it. And I, not only do I understand it, but I overstand it. So, yeah. Well, Catherine, or, or I overstand been, uh, it better. Sorry. <laughs> this has been awesome. Yeah, I'm going to um, I'm going to. Um, Check out some of the books that you mentioned. What was the mm-hmm. one, uh, the one uh, feminist or the the uh, the oh that Roxanne, you... that's Roxanne Gay, bad feminist. Uh, yeah, that was the first book I read, uh, and she's she's really gentle. She was gentle with me, <laughs> so that's cool. Uh, and I think she was not really gentle with me. I think she was more gentle with herself. And through that introspection, I was able to find a lot of freedom. So that was really really helpful for me. And other than that, you know, anybody listening to this, if you support, you know, the work that we're talking about at Hip Hop for Change, we can use all the help we can get right now. Um, I always tell people, like, one of the worst stats and the most descriptive of what we're dealing with is that Black-led nonprofits have around 56% less money on hand and about 72% less savings. Not because we're less than, uh, but because philanthropy is a very white, heteronormative, cis thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so we need all the support we can get financially as far as resources, but white supremacy also kills our social capital more than almost anything besides our lives. So if y'all know anybody who would support this type of work, we need everybody in our corner right now, especially dealing with the pandemic and trying to, you know, grow nationwide. So check out hiphopforchange.org, uh, and and join the fight for our culture is critical. I'm going to share that link in the, in the podcast description and um, and now you, you being in the Bay Area, do you have any contacts at, at Stanford? I just talked at Stanford, uh, Stanford. And the reason why is because a sister that I grew up with in Hunters Point, uh, we went to City College in San Francisco together. I remember, you know, just being 20 year old something. And she was like, I should run the, I should run the African-American department. Uh, and then she actually ran the African-American studies department. Uh, now she's going for her master's at Stanford, centering her work around the history of Bayview Hunters Point and the uprisings in Hunters Point and the resistance to all the white supremacy that we were dealing with. So it's incredible work. Her name is Aliyah Dunn Salahuddin. Amazing, incredible work. Uh, yeah, 
it's amazing. We don't have much history uh, that has been saved and, and elaborated on in the Baby Hunters Point. So yeah, she's a light. She's the only person I know at Stanford because white supremacy kills our social capital. So yeah, that's my my uh, youngest son is in his second year of law school there. Word. And I'm gonna. What kind of law? Pardon? What kind of law? Because we need a First Amendment lawyer. <laughs> he, he's he's want, he's wanting to do like public policy. Yeah. Um. He's he's an idealist. He wants to change the world, and so. I can do this help, man. We get charged uh, 20 times higher in special event insurance rates because we were hip hop uh, oh, wow. than if we were just doing regular stuff. I had a, a gospel hip hop competition that we were doing for a church and we got quoted more than the cost of our entire show because we were hip hop. And I said, okay, what if it's just gospel? And they gave me a 20 times less quote. Uh, wow. So that's because that's literal legal discrimination against the culture because people think hip hop is music rather than a culture of community of people. Uh, so I need all the help I can get. If he wants to have a little pet project in Stanford, that yeah, would be I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna share your contact information with him. Please, please, that'd be great, man. We need all the help we can get, man. Yeah, he he spent the summer at a he worked for the largest um, nonprofit law firm in L.A. Word that that does a lot immigration. of immigration immigration indigenous stuff they do a lot of trafficking victims mm -hmm. international tra trafficking victims and so um yeah so i'll I, he, he probably i wouldn't be surprised if he's heard of you he'll be like yeah dad where have you been you've been living under a rock <laughs> well man i i got another zoom i got another uh, another meeting right now i have to shake a leg for i apologize brother no i appreciate it and i'll uh i'll tag you on linkedin when this posts it'll probably be a week or so all right. Right on, man. And just thank you for your work and thank you for what you do, brother. No, thank you. Take care. Peace. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. If you want to connect more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and at my website, drjimmaddox.com. Thanks for listening.